1: Evan Lazar here, Patriots insider and host of the Patriots Beat podcast here on the CLNS Media Network. As always, our content is powered by our exclusive wagering partners, betonline.ag. Use the promo code CLNS50 for 50% off your welcome to deposit. Bet Online, your online sports book experts. The Patriots Beat podcast here on the CLNS Media Podcast Network and on Patriots Press Pass. I'm Evan Lazar, joined as always by Alex Barr. Today, the QA edition. Of the show on a Tuesday afternoon. We're going to break down some things that have happened around the NFL, happened around the Patriots or Patriots adjacent as well. So we'll start there. We'll get into some breakout candidates, then we'll take your questions. So if you have questions, now's the time to drop them in the chat. We'll get to as many as we possibly can throughout the rest of the show. I do want to start though with the news that broke around the league today, and that was Terry McLaurin signing a three year, $71 million. Contract extension with the Washington commanders, Alex. I think both of us maybe were, I don't know what the word is, uh, dreaming a little bit, I guess, that maybe Terry McLaurin could end up in a Patriots uniform if he did have a falling out with Washington. That obviously isn't the case. There's really no reason to go on and on about that. The question that I want to present here is Do you see a world down the line? for a McLaurin level talent or somebody better than McLaurin that Bill Belichick would pay 23 plus million dollars for a wide receiver, because that's the market, right? At least starting at 20, McLaurin's a really good guy. Got a little bit of extra. Mike Williams signed that three year, $60 million deal. That's sort of the baseline of where the market is going. A guy like Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase, those two have to be looking at this market and thinking, 30 plus million a year by the time they're free agents. Do you ever see a world where Bill Belichick will pay a wide receiver, that kind of money?
0: Um, Not if he doesn't have to. I think some of the moves they made this off season, right. You look at Devontae Parker trying to, trying to build a depth at that position. Right. Yeah. And, and I think the idea is, you know, They'd rather have five or six number twos than that true number one. And you spend the same amount of money. So I think he values depth more than up, more than top end talent at that position. Maybe if there's a guy he just really likes, you know, we went out and traded for Andy Moss once, so I'm not going to totally rule it out, but I think unless the guy checks every single box for him, I I think it's more going to be about depth at that position than getting that guy. I guess we'll see if it works in this, or I guess, let me, let me, let me add something to that whether it's Tyquan Thornton or next year, or whoever, if yeah. you were to draft a guy that played up to that level, I could see him re-signing a player for that value. I think that if, if a wide, and I don't know if this is exactly the question you asked, but if a wide receiver is going to get a 20 plus million dollar year contract from the Patriots, I think it would be a guy they draft that pans out more so than a free agent or trading for a guy and then giving him a new contract.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. I think the biggest problem that the Patriots run into in their minds with a lot of these wide receiver deals is it's not – to get Terry McLaurin out of Washington, to use him as an example, it's not just giving him the contract because the commanders aren't going to let him just walk for nothing, right? So they're probably going to go the franchise route. Then maybe he gets franchised next season. He hits the market in 2023 or 2024, let's say. And then he becomes a free agent. But in all likelihood, he gets traded before that point if they can't get to a long term contract extension. So it's the Tyreek Hill model, right? It's trading four or five draft picks or a first and a second, like the Raiders did for Devontae Adams and paying the guy $30 million a year, right? So I think that that's where the biggest hangup is the players that are worth that kind of money don't hit unrestricted free agency. I think next offseason, if Terry McLaurin was an unrestricted free agent and the Patriots could sign him without giving up anything and they had all this cap space, then I think that they would offer him a a market deal to come here and play football. But if you're going to have to give up the draft picks on top of it, that's a lot of capital. I think that becomes invested into one player and, and that's sort of where the buck stops. You mentioned having a bunch of number twos, that is the zig, right? Everybody is zagging. They're all paying everybody up the wazoo to come catch passes. The zag or the zig for Bill Belichick is Devonte Parker, Kendrick Bourne, Jacoby Myers, paying tight ends, which are obviously a, a little bit of a cheaper market than paying wide receivers. You pay Hunter right. Henry and Johnny Smith top of the tight end market. Unfortunately, when you start to read some of the tea leaves of what the Patriots have done in the last two off seasons, It seems like they're zagging when everybody else is zigging. And instead of paying one wide receiver, like you said, $23 million a year, they're paying three wide receivers, $23 million a year. We'll see if it ends up working. And I think ultimately for it to work, Mac is the X factor, right? Like Mac needs to elevate number twos and number threes and make Jacoby Myers or make Kendrick Bourne a number one wide receiver statistically right. because he elevates that to that status. Uh, we'll we'll see if the Patriots have that luxury because they had that luxury with Brady. They, they could roll out Brandon Lloyd and Brandon LaFell and uh, you know, Dante Stallworth. And, you know, I'm just pulling names down, not any slight on any of those players, but they could pull out those players, Chris Hogan and Brady would make them look great. Uh, we'll we'll see. We'll see if Mac Jones has that. And it can get to that level where he's taking that supporting cast with him. I I will also say that they're trying, at least in the draft, right? Tyquan Thornton's a 50th overall pick. Nikhil Harry in the first round in 2019 hasn't hit yet, but maybe they do go, okay, well, we're not going to pay anybody $25 million a year, but if we can get a true number one with a top 50 draft pick and pay him on a rookie salary, that's a much different, that's a much different conversation. Right. All right. Let's talk about uh, did you did you listen to any of the clips or any of the excerpts that people posted from Julian Edelman on, on I Am Athlete? Because it was entertaining. I don't know if any of the, any of it actually matters. Right. Like, it, I don't think any of it actually matters when we project forward for the Patriots. But it was entertaining. None the least. The Jimmy G well, stuff that headline grabbing and that's fun. Uh, I don't think it has any relevance whatsoever from it being all the way back in 2016, but uh, did you have any take? No, no, no. I can make stuff? it relevant.
0: I can make it relevant. And this was my big take yesterday. It goes along with another report too. So the, the, if you missed it, the thing from Edelman, uh it, it tied back to, was it late last year, right? Martellus Bennett was on the McCourty brothers right. podcast and, said something along the lines of, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo when Brady was suspended, tapped out of a game and you can't win with a bitch as a quarterback was his line. Right. And Edelman was asked about it. And he's, I think his exact quote was, I can understand why Marty would say that. And talk about Jimmy decided on Sunday, he couldn't play. And it's one thing to take care of your body, but decide on Thursday, not Sunday, all of that. Right. You can't win with a bitch as your quarterback. And, Anybody who's watched this show knows my feelings on Jimmy Garoppolo. I, for all the talk about they had the next guy, I never believed that. I didn't love the draft pick when we talked about, you know, what he can do with San Francisco. I think he's a massive product of the system. Last off season, when it looked like they were going to move him, people wanted to bring him back here. I was out on that. I think I remember listing five or six former Patriots quarterbacks. I would rather have than Jimmy Garoppolo, Jacoby Brissett, Cam Newton. Um, and the, so the way I can tie it in is there was another report yesterday. It wasn't a report, but John U. Smith was on Good Morning Football and about yeah. Mac Jones and said, among other things, he's got that dog in him, right? Which is the antithesis or, or not the, antithesis, the exact opposite, yeah, of what now two former teammates and Edelman said there were others who felt this way, but what two former teammates have said publicly about Jimmy Garoppolo and. I know some people want to you know, compare Jimmy Garoppolo and Mac Jones' skill set, and I get that. Keep in mind, one's, what, 23, 24, the yeah. other's 30. Yeah. So if, if two guys are the same skill level, but one guy's in his early 20s, the other guy's 30, those are two completely different quarterbacks. But that dog in you is a big part of playing the quarterback position in the NFL. And that was a big reason why I didn't want Jimmy Garoppolo back here. We had this argument, Evan. You said, is Jimmy Garoppolo better than quarterback X? And I, how many times did I say, well, I'd rather have quarterback X for 17 games than Jimmy Garoppolo for 10? Right. And, you know, you kind of look at those reports yesterday. A year ago, we were debating those two guys. And this is exactly why I was saying at the time it shouldn't have even been a debate.
1: Yeah, I do agree with you that Mac, at least so far, based off of what his teammates said and have said about him, but also just watching him play last year, especially early on in the season, there were times when that line was a little bit shaky in front of him and he took some serious damage, right? He took a, r- a lot of really big hits, had the knee brace on for basically the entire season, and it really toughed it out, I think, in some aspects. I remember back in week one against the Dolphins. David Andrews coming and was really distraught about how many times Mac Jones was hit. I think he spoke the next day or maybe it was right after the game about how often Mac got hit and how the line take that personally. And Mac kept on getting up, right? He kept on getting up and he kept on gunslinging it down the field and he kept them in that game. Is Jimmy G got that dog in him? Like Mac Jones does. Or um, Can we just say Mac Jones is perceived. Two so far because the guy hasn't won a playoff game yet. Like to sit here and say he's got not, all this dog in him, I just—it's a little bit of it. We're a little bit premature. He, it's not just winning in the playoffs though. Like that's not what that is. He's it's, got some it's, puppy in him. Let's see if he grows. No, up. no, no,
0: no, no, no. Because I don't think it has to do with winning in the playoffs. And also, like he showed plenty of dog at Alabama in the postseason. Yeah. It's just about like I think it's like that—that that no quit. Like I don't think you yeah. need to be. I think there are elite quarterbacks that don't have dog in them. Aaron Rodgers. I think, or at least he doesn't in the playoffs. Yeah. I think that there's replacement level quarterbacks that have a ton of dog in them. Ryan Fitzpatrick, Taylor Heineke. I think it's it's a skill, but it's independent of overall skill, if that yeah. makes sense.
1: Yeah, it, I think it's just what we're talking about. I think in a lot of ways, like a coach like Belichick would probably just chalk it up to mental toughness, right? That ability, it's basically, to, yeah, physical ability to shake off things, to continue playing, to fight through pain, fight through adversity, and do what's best for the football team. It was very enlightening to hear how Frank Julian Edelman was uh, about his feelings about Jimmy Garoppolo. Julian
0: Edelman's got plenty
1: of dog in him. No shortage there. Oh, yeah. The last thing I'll say about this, I I do think that this kind of puts to bed that Bill Belichick – was ever banging the table to keep Jimmy Garoppolo over Tom Brady. You know, those were the reports, what, 2017, I want to say it was, that Belichick wanted to keep Garoppolo. Was And I think the report from Wickersham at the time was that Kraft or Brady kind of forced his hand to trade Jimmy G at a time when he didn't want to. And when you start to kind of read all these things and listen to all these things that people have said after the fact, and now that more information has come out, It makes that decision even more perplexing if Belichick really wanted to sign with Jimmy G because here's a guy that comes into his office Sunday morning for a one o'clock gig against Buffalo and taps out, right? Says, I'm not playing. I have a shoulder issue. I'm not playing in my non-throwing shoulder, by the way, not playing. Baker Mayfield played with a non-throwing shoulder injury for half the season last. Baker Mayfield, plenty of dog. Yeah. So Jimmy G taps out two hours before the game makes Jacoby Brissett start with a torn thumb in his throwing hand, not his non-throwing thumb, his actual throwing hand thumb. The Patriots lose 16 to nothing. They basically lost what one game the rest of the season. Not that basically, year. they did. They, it was yeah. the Seattle on the goal line. Right, right. One game, they lose one game the rest of the year. Clearly some of the guys like Edelman who are uber competitive still remember that and, and still hold it against him a little bit. And I, I think that you look back on that story, And you say they clearly had some concerns about his durability. I think there were certainly whispers in the building that they were really not in on Jimmy Garoppolo because of the durability concerns. He comes back the next training camp, by the way, and has an ankle injury during training camp that he nurses for a while during camp. And we're led to believe that Bill Belichick wanted to move on from the MVP of the league for a guy that, they clearly had durability and just mental toughness concerns about from everything that we know about belichick and at this point there's so many stories written about him but there's also first-hand accounts of you know football life documentaries you know three games the glories you know whatever uh what's well, the one that they've done recently with, with the more recent super Bowls I forget the name of it but uh America's they, they, game they've done America's game there's one other one i I will come to me in a second that do your, job. do your job do your job right where we see all of this behind the scenes stuff with Belichick and I think we can finally put to bed any of those rumors that Belichick wanted to sign with Jimmy G that just sounds so outlandish based off of what Edelman had to say this week top three
0: your top three dog quarterbacks in the league right now quarterbacks with the most dog in them
1: number one's got to be Brady right yeah, of course. I, I, I think Joe Burrow's up there at this point I think he's got to be number two or number three. I think Stafford's got some dog in them. I think he's up there in, in this run. I, I think that he finally got over that hump and had some dog in him, especially in this playoff run. Uh, I would say that those are well, probably. Well, that even goes back to like, now. remember the video of
0: him? I don't know if it's his rookie or it's early on where like he separates his shoulder and they call yeah. like late in the game against the Browns and call timeouts so he can come back in. I'd put my, I, honestly, I'll put Mahomes up there too. Yeah, Mahomes got he, some dogs. He's put him. up with some crap. Um, yeah.
1: I want to take a second to shout out our partners at Bet Online. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including Major League Baseball scores, all the latest fighting news, and even next season's early NFL features. You want to place a bet on Mac Jones winning MVP? It's there. You want to place a bet on Bill Belichick, Coach of the Year? It's there. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sporting wagering information from live betting to playoffs, eSports, and more. Head to the website or use your mobile device today to sign up to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code CLNS50 to get the bonus and to get into the action. BetOnline, where the game starts. Bottom three dog quarterbacks. Bottom three who post I mean, that yeah. guy, he taps out. I mean, look at that game last year against San Francisco. That was a winnable game for them. Right. I mean, they right. were right there against the 49ers should have beaten the 49ers. They were, they were definitely the better team. And he taps out. I would guess Kirk cousins is a good one just based off of prime time and showing up in, in big moments and that sort of thing. Not really, you know, He's another one of those quarterbacks, not on, you know, Rodgers obviously way better than Kirk Cousins. Right. But he's another one of uh, those guys that it puts up these video game numbers when they're playing at one o'clock and they're the third game on Fox and nobody watches them except on red zone. Right? Like that's the right. guy, that, he's the guy that puts up four touchdowns. That used to be Andy Dalton. Now it, now it seems to be Kirk Cousins. Uh, I think the last one.
0: Well, Jimmy. Hmm. I Like, like there's two I think you haven't mentioned. Jimmy, I put down there. Kyler Murray might qualify for this. Tannehill's a good one. You're muted. Yeah, I was, I was going to say there? Kyler.
1: I think the biggest yeah. thing with Kyler is that you look at, and this I think might actually be a durability thing, right, it, more yeah. than anything, but his numbers down the stretch, right, the last six to eight games of the season, he just completely falls off a cliff. He puts up great numbers in September and October, which that's not when you win championships. So I think Matt Ryan's a decent one, but I actually no, think Matt, Matt Ryan Ryan's has, shown some fight in his I think career. Matt Ryan has some dog in him. He just had, he also has some choke in him as well. You know, yeah. and that's, that, that's not really his fault all the time.
0: All right. One more, one more before we move on. Cause it's June top yeah. three dog players of uh, not of all time of, of our lifetimes, top three dog players of our lifetimes,
1: top three dog. I think, players. I think number one is like a definitive answer too. Is it? Uh, let's see. Um, just like players in general. Players, not just quarterbacks, players. It I if I go, I mean, I don't know if this is who you were thinking of, but I, in my top three would be Darrell Revis. He's
0: really he's, uh, yeah. yeah, he was a little soft at the end. No, I'm thinking I have a defensive back number one, but it's not Revis. Better than better player than Revis, too. Ty Law? No, he's not Patriot. Who is it? patriot enemy for a long time seriously
1: yeah ed reed man uh yeah i guess i, I see what you're saying I, I i don't know if he's an enemy to me i i just respect ed reed well so you like like you know what i mean like he killed yeah. the patriots for yeah like i will say this there. though i i see in the chat ray lewis like i think that guy's fake dog like i think that guy is fake no dog. i i don't fake know nope, Would you say I'm that not, to him
0: would you say not, it to him
1: of course i wouldn't say it to him but i don't have to say i don't i don't know him. Logan, I guess I say, the- I'll, I'll say it to him on camera. All right. All I'm, right. Not gonna, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say it to him in, a, huh. in an alleyway, but Logan I, Mankins was a good one in the chat. Yeah. Right, was a good one
0: too. Honestly, I think last, Edelman,
1: last, Edelman last, last one of too. Patriots yeah.
0: of our lifetime. Who is it? The biggest dog. Yeah. I can Rodney. think of three guys right off the bat. Rodney. I would say Rodney Edelman yeah. and Mankins are, are the top three.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's a fun. Anyway, that was fun. That was fun Fun conversation for you. I think Harrison's a good one. I think Darrell Rivas to me is, is I understand what you're saying in the 2014 run. Maybe didn't finish it off the best way possible. But when he went up against a Randy Moss, Calvin Johnson, like when he went up against another dog, like that guy was shut down. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, but he he
0: couldn't. He was so offended that Patriots wouldn't give him a second contract. He sent his yeah. mom to go pick up his Super Bowl ring. Like, that's yeah. soft.
1: Yeah, That's right.
0: soft. Like, that disqualifies him to me. Great that's player. Fun. Tremendous player. But again, it's not, like, directly tied to talent. Like, somebody mentioned yeah. James Devlin. Ton of dog. Not necessarily – like, you wouldn't rank him among the most talented players on those teams. Ton of dog in him.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Ray Lewis. I can't do it with Ray Lewis. That guy drives me nuts. I think he's a big hypocrite, and I just—I—I I don't think so. I—I I, early yeah. early two thousands. Ray Lewis, great player, right? Like two thousand Ravens defense, absolute dynamite linebacker, one of the best of all time in his prime. I, I think a lot of the stuff. I think what it bothers me more about Ray Lewis is what his post-playing career, right? Like I, I think a lot of the stuff he said in the media, a lot of his act is, uh, yeah. I just it just doesn't it rubs me the wrong way. I, I don't know. I, I, I just know.
0: those say what you. I know the Patriots and the Ravens. Like that's one of the Patriots' biggest rivals over the last twenty years. Say what you will about those teams. Those teams had fighting them. You you oh, couldn't yeah. put those no, teams I'm not, down. I'm
1: not discrediting him as like a not like right you I, know not the biggest. Some, some
0: of those Steelers teams the Patriots went through, I think, were soft. Um yeah. uh Some of those Colts teams were certainly oh, soft. Yeah. You yeah. would never say. You would never say the Ravens were soft. Oh no, no, I wasn't
1: that. calling them soft. I just don't think that. It, it just it, it's probably a fandom a little bit of fandom thing in me okay that I, I, well i look i i said ed reed and like i
0: i hated ed reed because he killed the patriots i love ed reed as a player yeah. he's so much fun to watch but yeah i'd heard a little bit saying ed reed
1: yeah ronnie
0: lott cut a finger off to play in the game yeah ronnie lott might might take this away ronnie
1: lott is that that's that's before most of the people in the. i chat know it's time, yeah so. that's before
0: also our lifetimes yeah. but if we yeah. were going to do all time he's it's hard to say he's not number one
1: All right. Let's uh, let's get to the breakout candidates and then we'll funnel this into your questions. Uh, And I see a lot of the questions already in the chat. If you have more, then keep them coming and we're going to get to a bunch of them here. Uh, Breakout candidates. So for the Patriots, I I like this segment because I think one thing that I have a tough time with that I want to qualify before we get into this is what qualifies as a breakout candidate. Like did Kendrick Bourne have his breakout candidate season last year? right? Because even though he didn't get over a thousand yards or something like that, he became a regular, right? He became a full-time player and somebody that was a big time contributor. So in your mind is a breakout candidate, somebody that comes out of nowhere, or is it somebody that's on the cusp like a Kendrick Bourne and he goes from a 700 yard per year guy to a 1100 yard guy? I think
0: it can be either. I think it's more how much they increase their production or or their impact. Right. So I think you could have a breakout guy who goes from being a rotational player to like a high end starting caliber player. I think at the same time, it can be a starting caliber player who goes to be like a true impact player. I was going to say Kendrick Bourne and kind of exactly what you just said. He was good last year. He was really good. I think he can be even better. I think he could be noticeably better. I think he can be a thousand yard guy. You threw out 1100. I like that number for him. I, I I'd say Kendrick Bourne was good. I figured we'd do offense defense. Kendrick Bourne was going to be my guy on offense.
1: Yeah. So he uh, just pulling up his numbers real quick. He had 55, 800 yards and five TDs last year. So you look at 14 and a half yards per catch. You look at his numbers after the catch too, with the ball in his hands. I think he talked about it a lot earlier on in the season, try to kind of downplay it as the season progressed, but his grasp of the playbook, I think, was a little bit of a work in progress for the first six to eight weeks of the year. And that's why you saw him really break out in the second half of the season. If he can pick up where he left off, I think that he's a a thousand yard guide for the Patriots. If he gets that volume, you know, that's going to be the key for him. He also in this potential terminology scheme change, whatever you want to call it. If it is more 49ers-esque, then he's the one that did that the most out of this group, right? He played for right. the San Francisco 49ers. So if it is more 49ers, Shanahan, McVay-esque, then I think Kendrick Bourne's going to really benefit from that. He's one of those guys that seems really jacked up about the terminology switch. It's, it seems like the game is going to be faster for him. He already plays pretty fast, and now he he won't have to think as much as he had to think last year. So I agree with you on Kendrick Bourne, the other offensive player I'll give you just because I think that, you know, we got to give each give one here. I, I, I think that they're going to try to make Johnny Smith work. Like I, yeah. and I understand that they've tried to make Nikhil Harry work and they tried to make other guys work, right. They, they've tried to feed right. other guys, but well, it's, think, you put that big of an investment on a guy. You got to try to cash out. Figure it out. I think that some of the things that they're doing to the offense, the phase out of the fullback, I think it's going to end up turning into Johnny Smith being sort of a Swiss army knife of a H-back fullback type of player. I think we're going to see him in the backfield a lot. I think we're going to see him uh, as a lead blocker or a lead receiver as from a lead blocker alignment a lot. So I think that they're going to try some different things, uh, get some unique scheme advantages with Johnny Smith. So I, I would have him in my breakout candidate list towards the top as well, along with Kendrick Bourne. I think some of the routes that they're going to run, if they're going to run some bootleg stuff, some of the slide or drag routes into the flat to allow him to use his yards after catchability, I think all those things are going to feature Johnny Smith a lot. And I think that they're going to try to feed him the ball more uh, this year. And they know that between with the two guys that we just mentioned, Alex Bourne and Johnu, the best athletes on offense with the football in their hands, right? Like yeah. the best guys after the catch on that offense and i think those are the guys that they're going to go into the season with a plan to feature more than they did last year knowing okay we're going to get explosive plays it's probably going to be from those two guys at least until tyquan thornton really starts to catch on so we like Kendrick Bourne and johnny smith on offense let's turn over to defense are you going younger or are you going older here because you can go in either direction right there's some veteran guys and there's some young guys with this one
0: yeah, I mean, I've t- let's see. I've talked a lot about Jack Jones, um, you know, Barmore, the year two leap certainly on the table. But I'm going to pick up where I left off last year. I was like screaming, ranting and raving about how much Raquan McMillan was going to help them. Yeah, and, like, Everybody was like, they had this massive free agency class. They signed him on like Friday of that yeah. week for like no money. What do you tell? Like people were really confused. And he had that great camp before he could prove me right, which he will. Uh, so I'm just going to get back on that. I think he's going to be a player. I think he's going to be a factor assuming he stays healthy. I'm counting on big things from, from Rayquan McMillan.
1: Yeah, I like Raekwon McMillan too. The, I, I look at Kyle Duggar, and I think there's another level for Kyle Duggar. I just think he's so physically gifted that as he starts to download more information into the brain computer there, that he's just, the game's going to slow down for him even more and even more. And when you're that talented and that physically blessed, once the instincts and the game recognition kicks in, then your athleticism can truly take over. So I, I think that there's another gear for Kyle Duggar that I hope that he's going to find this year. I'm really high on him. I, I think he's got Pro Bowl potential if, if he can put it together. And you started to see last year he had the four picks. He had some more impact plays in, in that season last year than he did his rookie season. Got better at covering tight ends and man coverage last year as well. So I think that Kyle Duggar is a big one for me. The one that I won't fall for is Josh Uche. I'm not going to fall for Uche. We do we did this last training camp also, right? Uche looked great in the spring. He looked great at the beginning of the summer. He's one of those guys that I got to see it before I'm going to get a, on the bandwagon. I, I, I think Cameron McGrone was the other one when I threw this out on Twitter that other people were gravitating towards maybe – a little bit early, I think. We haven't actually seen anything from Cameron magrone to consider him a true breakout candidate. But where do you stand on those two guys? Because I think those are two that a lot of people are, are popular answers for a lot of people.
0: Uche and magrone Yes. I think magrone's going to be a factor. They need that coverage linebacker. I think between him and Mac Wilson, there's a spot to be one. Yeah, uh, Uche, it's kind of the same thing. It's between him, Perkins and Jennings. And I think I, I don't think he'll be like a breakthrough player. I think he'll be a solid rotational player. But, you know, I, I'd, I, I don't think that's what some people are expecting from him. I think they're expecting more. I think he'll be good enough, but I think he's going to fall a little short of expectations.
1: Yeah, I'm just concerned about Uche because we do this every single year with Uche. That's all. Uh, Let's see what happens with Uche. I like McGrone too. I think that he's going to have a role later on in the season. Talk to me on Thanksgiving for Cameron McGrone, right? I think that that's... McGrone or McMillan? uh, Cameron McGrone. I I think Rayquan McMillan's going to contribute right away. I think he's going to be a player as long as he can stay healthy, which unfortunately throughout his career has been difficult for him. But if he gets through training camp without any freakish injuries, you know, he's injured himself twice covering kicks in training camp practice. Yeah, he, I mean, there's a reason, like, and
0: this is what I said last year, and This is part of the reason I like him so much. He's incredibly talented. There's a reason he's available when he was. It's not a talent thing.
1: Yeah, it's super bizarre. So he tore his ACL last year with the Patriots, right, and covering a kick or a punt or something like that in training camp. And a few years ago, he did the exact same thing and tore his other ACL, uh, covering a, a punt or a kick in, in Dolphins training camp. So... Really unlucky career so far for Wayquan McMillan. I, I agree with you that I think that he has the uh, opportunity there and, and has the potential. All right, let's get to some of these questions. There was one I wanted to start with here. There it is. All right, we're we're scrolling. a lot of a lot of chat today. All right, Remondre Stevenson, the running back situation. I think this is an interesting one heading into training camp. I got the question last week in the mailbag about if I could potentially see the Patriots treating Damian Harris's situation like they treated Sony Michelle's situation, right? Which is you have Ramondre, let's say Pierre Stronger, Kevin Harris, one of those guys pops in camp and in the preseason, they feel comfortable with him backing up Ramondre, but ultimately it would have to mean that Ramondre Stevenson was overtaking Damian Harris for RB1, right? As the best running back on the roster. Are, are, could you see that uh, that path for Damian Harris that they get out of it a year before free agency and try to get something in return? I'd be pretty surprised just because of
0: his standing within the team. We know how much of a leader he is, his relationship with Mac Jones and all of that. Yeah. I also, Kevin Harris is coming off a back injury. Like there's there's physical issues there with him. I, I think it's a little different than what the situation was last year. I also think that there's a chance they would re-sign Damian Harris. I know they don't re-sign running backs a ton. Yeah. If they were going to, Harris is, you know, fits the profile of the kind of guy they might. So yeah. I, you know, can he take over, can Stevenson take over running back one? What running back one with the Patriots doesn't mean what people thinks it, think it means. They split these guys about evenly. Running back one means the high impact snaps, third and short, fourth quarter, running out the clock in a close game. They're going to play the same, about the same amount of snaps. RB1 is who gets the high impact carries. And yeah. Harris... His ball security has been better than Stevenson's historically. So that's what this comes down to. Who's the RB one? They're both gonna play a ton. It's who's gonna hold on to the ball better.
1: Yeah, I don't think that Damian Harris is going anywhere either. I, I feel like with Sony, there was two things at play. One, he was worse than Damian Harris, right? Like so he was losing out RB one or whatever you want to call it, lead back, starting lead back role to Damian Harris. The second thing was, I don't think Sony was bought all the way in. I, I never thought that he was in the best shape. I never thought that he was somebody that was fully committed to the Patriots program. Whereas with Damon Harris, it's the total opposite, right? He, that guy right. is all the way in, in new England, all the way in, in Boston in general, right? yeah. I mean out on the town, but Celtics games, Bruins games, Red Sox games. I think he loves being here. I think he's bought all in. I think he comes in an impeccable shape, ready to go every single time that they report to the facility. So I think that he's a patriot. I think that he's got it in his blood probably from his Alabama days and kind of trickling that up to the pro level. So I think that they look at him as a very, very different case study as, as uh, Sonny Michelle to kind of spin this to Ramondre Stevenson. I actually think that Ramondre might outsnap Damian Harris in terms of percentages. I think that there is a way or a, a world where Ramondre takes on a lot of the pass catching duties in this, this season, because If James White isn't the guy, right? If James White starts as a year on pup, if James White isn't the same James White that we knew uh, before this injury, they're probably not going to give that mantle to Pierre Strong right away, right? He's going to have to earn that and probably go the rookie redshirt route. So I think Ramondre might end up out snapping Damian Harris just because he might play on third down a little bit more than Damian Harris will. But I still think Damian Harris, like you said, fourth quarter up a touchdown, need that big boy drive that we've seen the Patriots run so many times where they ice eight minutes off the clock and finish with a field goal or a touchdown to secure the win. I still think that that's Damian Harris who gets the football in those situations.
0: Yeah, I would agree. So again, the whole RB one, you have to think in different it's it's, it's not like fantasy football. It's not like Madden where it's a depth chart. Yeah. It's more situational than that, which kind of, you just touched on.
1: Okay. Let's uh, I I like this question. It's kind of related to the running backs. So when I was doing my first 53-man roster projection, Alex, you did one too right after minicamp. Ty Montgomery was the swing vote in a lot of ways, right? If a guy like Trey Nixon, for instance, is going to make this team, then it's hard to do it numbers-wise if Ty Montgomery also makes the team, right? So, Well,
0: yes and no. I think part of it is what position do they see Ty Montgomery as? Sure. Like, what if he makes it, along with like so Trey Nixon's your sixth receiver but what if they see it as all right Ramondre Stevenson Damian Harris maybe like James White's a guy they 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 put on the NIR but like what if they only keep three other running backs? Yeah like maybe Ty Montgomery's in the competition for that pass catching back rule.
1: Definitely could be yeah but I, I think that the problem is is you start talking about just skill players in general, right? And and Getting Trey Nixon on the roster. I agree with you hundred percent that it is a little apples to oranges because they are different players and they're going to play different roles on the team. But I, I do think it becomes difficult when you just start to talk about the raw number, just the sheer number of, of it of skill players that they hate to keep some of these wide receivers. that I think a lot of people like Trey Nixon would like to see them keep around and to keep both rookie running backs active, right? If, if, Let's say Kevin Harris ends up getting the Foxborough flu also, right? And they end up right. registering him. Then it becomes a little bit easier. But you know the Patriots want to keep nine or ten offensive linemen. You know they're, they're going to keep depth in the, in the secondary, especially in that cornerback room, to make sure that they hedge their bets there because nobody is really, really a true shutdown guy. So you're probably going to keep six or seven corners, honestly, which is a big number. So I, I don't know. It, it gets difficult with Ty Montgomery. I agree with your role, though, that if he's going to stick on this team, I actually do think that he's going to be the third down back. I think they look at him exactly the same way that they looked at Brandon Bolden. I think yep. they, they think it's a one-for-one situation with Brandon Bolden. Play on in the kicking game, play on third down as the backup to James White in the receiving back role. He was good in that role with Green Bay. He played that role a little bit with New Orleans. Uh, that, I think that that's really what they see with the guy like Tom Montgomery. He could return kickoffs too, which is something that Brandon Bolden did as well, just to have the safety net back there, right? It's not necessarily right. thinking that you're going to get anything explosive, but you're just not going to get any turnovers uh, back there because you can re- rely on that guy to protect the football. So I think he's Brandon Bolden, which there's nothing wrong with that. They need Brandon Bolden, right? They They needed him last year. So, if Ty Montgomery is as good as Brandon Bolden was in an emergency uh, break last type of case, then I, look, that's a good signing. That's a good pickup by the Patriots.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I'd, I'd agree with that.
1: Okay. Um, I like this question because I think we've talked a lot about Mac, a lot about his improvements with arm strength and Tom House and all that kind of stuff. I actually have something different that I want to answer with this question, but what's the one thing that you would like to see Mac Jones improve on in year two? Well, I, I think we did this a couple of weeks ago um, and it's, it's
0: confidence and that's not to say he wasn't confident in year one, but I think that's just, yeah. you know, something that comes with more experience in the NFL. And when I say confidence, he's obviously like sure of himself in terms of his ability to be an NFL quarterback, but from a snap to snap basis, testing some tighter windows using maybe more of the field, more outside the numbers. And we saw him do some of the stuff in the spring that I, I, for any quarterback, not just Mac Jones. I mean, that's what you look at from year one to year two how comfortable do they look in their own shoes from a play to play basis and, and how comfortable are they to make certain plays that maybe they didn't need to make or didn't make at the college level that an NFL quarterback should be making. So I, that, that, that's the one for me. That's the big one for me. I don't know that we'll get the answer to that until like October, November, you got to play regular season games for that one. But uh, that, that's the big one for me is just confidence.
1: So this is a little bit, uh, you know, like, a minor detail in some ways. Right. But I think the one thing that I was watching Peyton Manning did a detail, you know, that, that ESPN thing that he does, where he breaks down film of quarterbacks. He did one on Mac Jones. I don't know if I saw it at the time and just, we didn't talk about it or something, but I, I, it was posted on Reddit the other day. So I, I went back and, and watched it. The one thing that Peyton talked about in that with Mac was, manipulating coverage with his eyes and holding the safety right like he sometimes has that propensity and we saw this with the Micah Hyde interception in the playoffs and we talked about this a little bit on the show of staring down receivers right and and kind of bringing the safety to uh, where he's going to throw the football there's one throw in minicamp I don't know if it was on purpose it could have been a total coincidence but it seemed like he was emphasizing that a little bit more in minicamp where he hit uh, Trey Nixon on one of those deep corner routes and he got to it late. But I think he was getting to it late on purpose because he was staring down the right side knowing that he was going to come back left. The throw that Peyton Manning broke down where he said that he would have liked to see Mac hold the safety a little bit longer was actually one of the best plays of the year was that Kendrick Bourne touchdown, right? The yeah. laser where the Kendrick Bourne. Peyton seemed to feel if Mac looked off the safety a little bit longer, that maybe that doesn't become quite as difficult of a catch for the receiver at that point. I mentioned the Hyde interception. I think that if you look at some of the things that he did during his rookie season, sometimes had that propensity to give things away with his eyes. And I think that that would really help him, especially as they try to unlock his deep ball. If you Even if you don't have the world's strongest arm, if you can hold that safety over the top for just that split second, it just gives you that little bit more margin of error uh, to throw the football down the field. If he doesn't stare down Nelson Aguilar in the playoff game, does Micah Hyde get there, right? If he's looking to his right and he's looking at the crossing pattern going across the field by Hunter Henry and Micah Hyde attaches to that, then he's nowhere near in the play, right? So I think there's little things like that to his game. If you want to get into the details like Peyton did, which I thought was really good, that Mac could maybe do a little bit better in year two. That's a little bit different than us just coming on here and saying, oh, I can throw the ball harder, you know, or faster, improve his velocity or whatever. I think that those are two little things that would really go a long way. Um, Let's stick with offense. Uh, This is a good point by George here. We, or Gary, excuse me, my bad. Talked a ton about, johnny smith right in this 49ers s scheme and uh we talked about the wide receivers we haven't talked a lot about hunter henry just because he fit in so well in year one it feels like he's just going to pick up where he left off but how do you see him if this is the truly the way that they're going do you, i, I kind of look at it and, and see you know in the 49ers offense a lot of those little option routes are run by george kittle right like he's kind of runs a lot of those uh, true options, like why option, like just get open at the top of the route and say, uh Los Angeles with the Rams, that's Cooper cups role, right? He- it's his, it's his role to kind of get open on those option routes. I, I think that's that there, we could see a lot of the George Kittle route tree for Hunter Henry and some of those aspects. And, and that will help him if this is truly the way that they're going with the offense.
0: Yeah. It's just, I mean, for me, it's, what is it going to look like to Shanahan's a lot of eleven right and is are they going to do more whatever you want to call it twenty one twelve with john who right is are are, are they going to swap in and out if john who's the guy does that take opportunities away from hunter henry that's that's where i wonder about it i think within the context of the plays when he's on the field they'll find ways for him to succeed my question is how often is he going to be on the field if they stick to like a true shanahan 11 offense
1: yeah be interesting. You know, Shanahan is, is right. Like you said, Kyle use is a little bit like Johnny in that. Like, is it really a fullback? Is it a tight end? Right. Like, where are you, Right, where do you really put that? So Shanahan, there are a lot of 21 technically, but use is his own thing. So it's kind of hard to label that personnel grouping. The Rams are a lot of 11. They're, they're an 11 based team. That that's, that's how they roll. Right. They're like 85% 11. They're there. That's, a big reason why they get away with playing so much three wide receivers because Cooper Cup is a fantastic blocker, right? Like he's an elite blocker out of the slot. So that allows them to be a little bit more 11 heavy than the 49ers. It'll be interesting to see what the Patriots truly call their base personnel. I assume it's going to look something like the use check role and the 49ers kind of blurring those lines between 12 and 11 with use check. Yeah, you know, sometimes he's in line, sometimes he's at the end of the line. Sometimes he's in the backfield. I think that's going to be similar with Johnny, but I think Henry's role is going to be traditional Y, right? Like he's going to stick in the same role, which is kind of like the George Kittle in this situation. Obviously I think Kittle's a better player, better after the catch, but that's sort of the idea that I think they're going to go with, uh, with with Hunter Henry. If this is the, if they're going to go full Shanahan, right. If this is fully what they're going to do, um, then I think that that's what we'll look at. There was a, a question earlier. I'll find it. Uh, we can start talking about it about team captains, which I, I think is interesting. I mean, look, we're a long way away from naming team captains, but there's one guy in particular that I think is a lock to be a captain this year that wasn't the team captain last year. I'm sure David Andrews will be a captain again. And, and I, by the way, the lock I'm talking about is not Mac. He'll be—I'm sure he'll be a captain too uh, in his second season. But who do you see the Patriots giving out those captainships to this year?
0: So I think Andrews. McCordy, Slater or those are three locks they were last year James White I think gets it even if he can't play yeah and then Mac would be the fifth to me and they they generally have five some years they have more some years they have less but those would be my five
1: okay so I don't know if they have six this year or if they find a way to to get him in there some other way I think Matthew Judon might be a captain If it's
0: going to be a linebacker, I think it's going to be Bentley.
1: You think because that guy, the energy that he brings though is contagious, right? Like it's a lot like Kendrick Bourne. I I don't know if Kendrick Bourne, he, I think is, is potentially one too. If Bill has anything to say about it, I don't know if Kendrick Bourne, the way that he talks to the media, so openly is going to get him a captain. You could say the same about Judon. I suppose. I just look last year. We heard a lot about Judon you know, in the locker room. Right. And how much of a right. joker he was, how, how fun he was to be around uh, working the, the music. Right. He has the ox cord, you know, all that kind of stuff. I, I don't know if he's necessarily like the, the guy that coaching staff wants Judon, you know, what would want, but I think there's going to be a lot of players that rally around that a guy, guy like Judon. but if you can rally around him, that guy's never the captain.
0: I would also say too, and you, you know, the players vote on it, but they, they vote on it. And Bill certainly has his say.
1: Yeah.
0: Judon wasn't at any of the optional spring practices. That's like true. that's the kind of thing that, again, I think that they give it to like, wasn't Juwan Bentley already a captain? I think he was in 2020,
1: yes, when, uh, in 2020. when
0: Hightower yeah. opted out. Right. So, yes. I mean, so let, let's go off last year's group, right? Andrews High Hightower, Slater White. Yeah. Hightower is not here. So he's out. If, if you want to, you know, James White, because of the injury thing, if James White was fully healthy, he's a total lock. He's the ultimate, like he's everything you want to captain that guy yeah.
1: rules in terms I mean, of Damian Harris the, literally said he wants to be James White when he grows up. And he wasn't right. joking. Like, you know, he's half joking about the age thing, but he wasn't joking. I want to be, it. I want to be James White. When I grow yeah. up, he seems yeah. like
0: he's got it all together. He seems like a great guy. Yeah. Um. So you look at last year, I mean, Andrews McCordy, Slater, we agree. Those are locks. High tower, I think there's also something to that, you know, middle linebacker, green dot in the center of the yeah. defense. Yeah, the Bruce like Leo, the high tower. Right. Yeah. That's Juwan Bentley now. So yeah. I would say if it's gonna be a linebacker, it's gonna be Juwan Bentley.
1: Yeah, okay. I, I hear you. I just I don't know if he'll get it because maybe his his attitude, and I, I don't mean this in a negative way, but it's the best way I can think of putting it. His attitude or his persona is not. Really, captain material, right? Like Judon is not. Oh, I not, think it totally is. Oh,
0: Judon is not. Judon or Bentley's not. Yeah. Oh, okay. I think yeah. Bentley's total captain in the way yeah. he
1: handles himself. But I, I don't know if Judon necessarily fits that that box. But I bet you, if you tally the votes in that locker room when they vote on it, I bet you Judon would would be would qualify as a captain. Whether they the bill right. actually gives him the C or not is a different story. But I think if you tally the votes, uh, he ends up being the captain. Well, All right. It kind of reminds me of Edelman. Edelman
0: was never a captain, right? No, and he no. kind of was that guy, but it just never happened. So,
1: so I kind of look at it like that. So I, I heard a, a rumor about Edelman not wanting to be a captain because of the media commitment of being a captain. I don't know if that's necessarily true or not, but that's sort of like the word on the street, right? Is that he turned okay. it down a, a bunch of times because when you're a captain, you automatically have to talk to the media once a week. Right. Like that's like a requirement right. as a team captain. But you also, there's something that you have to wear with that. Like you have to, you know, before, after wins, after losses, whether you're on a six game winning streak or a six game losing streak, you got to get up there and talk. Right. When you got to see right. that's sort of the way that it is in any sport. And I, I think Edelman would have been a captain if, if he really wanted, wanted to be. Uh, I okay. think it's, fair it's, enough. Yeah. I don't even know if this is a question, but like I guess we can pose it. It's a kicker question for you, so you can have some fun with this. Nick Folk versus Gasowski no. versus Vinatieri. No. Like, how, but let, no, no, I, no. let's just rank them though. Like rank ranking them in your right, top well, three. It, well,
0: it looks it looks like we're doing it in their prime, not career. Yeah. Well, I, I think it would be the same either way. Adam Vinatieri is the greatest kicker in the history of the game. You can you I can agree. take your Justin Tucker and shove him. Adam Vinatieri is the greatest kicker in the history of the game. He's hit. He has the single greatest kick in the history of the sport. I've had multiple kicker, like kickers, people who have done this, tell me Vinatieri's game time kick in the snowball is the single, for a number of factors, is the yeah. single most difficult kick that's been, or that's been attempted and hit. I don't know. Maybe somebody tried a 70-yard field goal once. I don't know. Mm-hmm. The, the, the most difficult field goal make in, in the history of the game, Kostowski- oh, yeah. The durability was unrivaled. I know people kind of remember him late in his career. He had a, I think it was a mental block ultimately where he struggled on extra points after they moved it back. But if you remember before they did that, and I know people think of, you know, pre moving back the extra point as those were gimmies, he had the longest streak in NFL history without missing an extra point. That's tremendous reliability. And I think, again, I think it was a. Yeah. A mental thing later in his career, but the, the reliability, the dependency, the consistency from Steven Gostowski, I know it wasn't great late, but for the majority of his career was excellent. Nick folk has been really good the last couple of years. He he really has. I think he's been the, you know, a top three kicker in football the last two seasons. There's also a reason he was out of the league for a couple of years, and he struggled early on in his career. So if we're going to talk about prime, right? I mean, Adam and it's, it's Adam and Terry over everybody. You can put,
1: you can put Vinatieri- Right. This you is really more about, Justin like,
0: Tucker Jan Struden. Yeah, and
1: this Vinatieri. is really about Guskowski versus Folk for two and three, right? Like, this is not really a competition with Vinatieri. It's, it. it's, it, I, I, if we're going to talk about their peak, it might be close
0: because Folk's at his peak right now and he's been excellent. Yeah, I don't know that he has the range Gustowski did. Gustowski was just yes, he had a bit so reliable, right. but he could hit from a little further out. But, uh, I would, I would go, I guess, chronologically, Vinatieri, Gustowski, Folk.
1: So I agree with you. I think I'd stick with that order. I will say this about Volk, if versus Guskowski though. If I have to make, like, a 47-yarder to win the game in a big moment, I'm taking Volk. I, I think that Volk... I think that's recency bias. Maybe it's recency bias, but I part of this bias, you know, how many kicks did Guskowski miss in the Super Bowls? You know, like, he was... He definitely had some misses so, in, in Super Bowls, right? That I mean, stat is misleading. How's people, it misleading? Because, because, people say,
0: it. because people say he's missed the most field goals in Super Bowl history. He also is like the third best field goal percentage in Super Bowl history. He I'm just had right.
1: more attempts than any kicker. Like, no okay. kickers
0: but played in as many Super Bowls let, as let Let
1: me put you this way, Alex. If you had to recreate – let's say the Patriots in January are literally recreating the snowball kick, right? Yeah. And – You could have Nick Folk teeing it up or you could have Gaskowski teeing it up in your prime. You're still taking, you're still taking Gaskowski. For 48 yards, you said? 48, the exact same kick. Yeah, because Folk Folk in his prime
0: is right. Well, Folk attempted a, I don't want to say similar, but that kick in the rain against Brady was. It did don't implement the weather, you know, bad weather into the
1: wind, all of that. And he didn't hit it. So. Yeah. That's the one, that's the one big kick he's missed since he came to the Patriots in terms of right. like game winner game on the but line. But that's, but that's the kick you're, you're asking me, would I, would I put him out that's there? For. Fair. That's and it's, fair. it's prime
0: Gustowski. I'm trying to stall here. Cause I'm trying to find the, the kicker numbers from Gustavsky's prime. All I right. All right. I,
1: I, look, I just think that he, he's big kick Nick, right? Like I, he has deserved that moniker over the last couple of seasons. He's made a ton of game winners. He made a ton of 50 plus yard game winners. Granted, I think at least one of them, if maybe even two, are against the Jets. So I, I don't know how much you're you're really you know giving him credit. Um, not necessarily Folk. I mean, the kick went in. The kick went in, but you know what I'm saying. Trying to say, I, I, I think that there's, I think there's an argument there that in a clutch moment, that I might take Folk. I think over the course of the career, well, so and here's the, the thing. Change your, I,
0: change your question. Is it a 30-yard field goal? I might go Folk.
1: Yeah, I, well, that's fair I, I'm talking about no because I'm not talking about a chip shot I'm talking about a 48 plus yarder regardless of conditions we're not in a dome we're outside but regardless of conditions really who are you lining up three seconds to go 1917 the kick wins the game who's taking it what hey. was
0: the art- what was the yardage
1: 48 plus like a long kick right like whatever you want to put that at 45 plus 48 plus whatever I, I,
0: for, with that distance, I still think I'm going Kostowski and just, so here's the number. Thank you. Here we go. Dating. So from 2008 to 2018, this isn't Kostowski's entire career, but it's what I would call his prime third in the league and field goal percentage. Oh, no, was Justin yeah. Tucker and Robbie gold, 88.1%. Uh, Nick Fulk also played for most of this window of here. So here's a stat for you. So this is from 2008 to 2018 with at least 160 field goal attempts. So that's one attempt per game in that span. You want to know where Nick Folk ranks out of 27 kickers in that span in field goal percentage? 23rd. 27th. He's last. Oh, my goodness. He re- – the Nick Folk we're seeing on the Patriots is like it's – that. that's why it it's so incredible year. what he's doing because he's reinvented yeah, himself. Coming
1: out of nowhere. Yeah.
0: I'm trying to find like 50-plus yard field goals. I can't – Well, I so
1: Do you have the Super Bowl stat or no? Because
0: then we're going to move on. I told you, Willie, yeah. he's, he's, he has more attempts than anybody else. It would make sense. Okay, How many misses.
1: field goals has Steven Guskowski missed in super bowls? Cause it's definitely multiple. All right. Hang on. I gotta, I gotta pull this up. Um, putting you on the spot. Don't mess this up. This is your moment. No,
0: it is. It is multiple, but he also has so many more attempts than any other kicker. You've got to go by the percentage.
1: Adam Vinatieri never missed a kick in the super bowl.
0: Well, okay, you're right. He's not as good as Adam and Terry. I said that. Tom <laughs> Br- I think, doesn't Tom Brady have the most interceptions thrown in Super Bowls?
1: I mean, I guess Does Tom in the Brady's volume way,
0: sure. just, It's the same thing. Well, Tom? No, he has the most interceptions in Super thing. Bowls. He sucks in big games. It's the exact same thing you're saying, Evan. It's a it's a volume thing. It's an anomaly because he's played oh, yes. in so many of those uh, games.
1: I don't feel like it's the same thing for some reason, but I guess in, in, in reality, it, it pretty much is. It's statistical. Because there's a kicker versus play. a quarterback. Gostowski yeah. has played in one, two, three
0: four, five, six Super Bowls. Crazy. I don't think there's another kicker that's played more than that. And he's missed one, two, three, three three. Three kicks in six Super Bowls. Sorry, three, three, yeah, three kicks in six Super Bowls. That's crazy. Well, dude, dude sucks, man. He's horrible. I, that's, that's rough. That's so rough, Evan. I,
1: look, the, only on this show do we talk this much about the kickers, but it, the Patriots have had – three really good kickers right so uh, I, at least this version of folk obviously has been really really good so nick folk that's that's so that's kind of what i try
0: to push with people with nick folk that i think people don't understand oh he's good i get it what's the big deal he wasn't he was an average to below average kicker for so long and then and this is the other thing too with um with cam accord right where people will yeah. will talk about well what's cam accord doing And and Joe Houston deserves credit for this too, who's the assistant special teams coach who has a background in kicking. Yeah. Credit to the Patriots kicking staff too and to Nick Folk himself. I mean, it's night and day from the guy he was before he went out. And I'll say credit to the AAF. He figured it out there. Oh my God. The World League, as Bill Belichick likes to call it.
1: All right. Well, we'll end it there with a nice kicker debate. Always can come here to Patriots beat for your kicker debates and your kicker talk and your punter talk. Uh, let's do a a five minute Boston sports minute here Alex. before we sign off quickly on the Red Sox here. You're the one that told me to, to relax when they were hot, right? They won seven in a row. Was it like six or seven series in a row? Uh, And you told me about the teams that they were beating up on and the guardians, you know, were are kind of a middling team at the end of the day that they swept over the weekend. And then they get, you know, their doors blown off yesterday. Three home runs by the Blue Jays. Seven to two loss to Toronto. in Toronto was with a Triple A pitcher that got called up in Seaball, but one of their better prospects, right in the farm system. Do you think that the Red Sox are are a, a like you said to me the other day? The Red Sox are a good team that can beat bad teams, but they're not a good team that can beat good teams. Right? Is that kind of where you're at with them? Well, no.
0: I so half halfway they're good enough to beat all the bad teams. They're not a bad team. They established that over the last 2 months. Yeah. Now the cuz they only played bad teams. I think the Cardinals were the best team they played in that stretch. Cardinals are they're fine. They're not good. They're not bad. Now they got now they're going to play exclusively good teams for 2 months. It's just a weird schedule. So they came out of the gate slow. Happens. Sucks, right? Yeah. Now they're playing good teams. So now it's like, all right, well are you just good enough or are you actually good? I'm not going to yeah. write them off. After one loss to Toronto, they can still win the series, right? But right. they tonight's a huge game. Tonight is a massive massive game and we've talked about this stretch before. 6 of their next 7 are in the 6 of their next 7 series, not games. 6 of their next 7 series are all in the division. They've got to win 5 or 6 of those series. They've got to I don't think they can afford to get swept even once. This is this is it. This is the season right here. If they falter through this stretch and they go 500 or worse through this stretch, we have our answer. They were a good team that beat up on bad teams, but can't beat great teams. If they get through this stretch and they come out of this and, you know, they've won five of these series and suddenly they're within shouting distance of the Yankees at the trade deadline. Okay. You have my attention. We have a season. Let's go. Let's start talking playoffs. So not a great start last night to a crucial stretch. Of course, it doesn't help that, There without some key pitchers because the, you know, unvaccinated players can't go to Canada, but you got to come back and respond tonight. That's what, if if the Red Sox are who Tyler Milliken is telling me they are, and Jared Carabas is telling me they are, and all those people are, I like, I love Tyler. Tyler's the best. If the Red Sox are who they're telling me they are, the Red Sox come out tonight, make a statement and win, and get themselves right back on track. It's that simple. If they fall tonight and then they get swept by Toronto, it was a fun couple months of them beating up on bad teams and, we really start to count down to training camp.
1: So Bloom said the other day that they would look to add pitching right at the deadline. But yep. do you think that when he said that, that he was, he's going to pull that, Oh, well, we did add pitching. We added Chris sale and native vault. No. Right? Or do you think I, that they're actually buyers? I, I I
0: think Bloom's above that he's proved in the past. He's above that. Yeah. I think this, so this stretch here, these seven series, it ends July 23rd or whatever it is. Yeah. So I, this deter, I think if they're buyers, they buy pitching but if again if you you know whatever it is seven series let's call it 21 games i think it might be a little more than that but let's say it's three games a series if you go 7 and 14 you're not buying pitching you're not buying anything you're selling if you go yeah. 14 and 7 you're all in buying so i think in theory they i think i i think if they go through this stretch and they have a real shot at it i believe high and bloom would invest in pitching and maybe an outfield bat if they don't go through this stretch i think you stand pat or yourself
1: yeah, I think you almost have to invest in the team because you don't know what Devers's future holds. You don't know what Bogarts' future holds. Like this is kind of their window with this core potentially, right? So, right. In a lot of ways, you gotta kind of have to go for it. You, you sort of put yourself in a position. What Bogarts is a free agent at the end of this year, correct? And then Devers is not a free agent yet, but he's gonna want a deal. You right? you would have you would
0: have to trade him. So basically, yeah. he um he has what. One- the way base do you know how baseball works with arbitration I'll explain if people yes, watch yes. And don't know you don't
1: have to go and, So yeah, baseball's
0: yeah. contracts are uh, you know they're, it's ancient the way it's structured yeah. it predates the modern free agency movement you have 4 years where you basically just have to accept whatever offer the team gives you right. and then you have 3 years of arbitration which is you can either agree to a contract if you don't the team can take you to arbitration you don't become a free agent basically you put in what you think you're worth The team puts in what they think you're worth and an independent arbitrator, somebody from the league basically picks one of those numbers based on what they think is more fair. So next year would be Raphael Devers' last year of arbitration. The thing is, once that runs out, he's an unrestricted free agent. So if you don't, you could take him to arbitration and get the one more year. But after that, he becomes an unrestricted free agent. You lose him for nothing. So you would take him to arbitration, get a one-year deal that ultimately means nothing. And then trade him to a team that will give
1: him a long-term deal. Jeez, so this is it. You know, the the Red Sox have to, assuming that they don't completely play themselves out of it in these division series coming up, and in the rest of the series in Toronto, they got to go for it. Like this is kind of this is their window. And JD's not getting any younger. Chris Sale's not getting any younger if he does come back and is and is a good pitcher for them again. So they got to do this. All right, let's. Turn to the Bruins here for a second. The Celtics, I think, are in a great spot, and we we don't really need to limit. Can, so can I give you a hot take on the Celtics real quick? You can. I want yeah. Jay Crowder back.
0: I think Jay yeah. Crowder is oh, exactly what they need off the day. bench. Yeah. There was a report out there today. I don't think you'd need to give up a ton to get him. Bring me Jay Crowder. I, I don't know that he's the only addition they need. I think they could also use a couple more fringe bench pieces, but – yeah, take Jay, I would take Jay Crowder back. I'd love that addition. All right, bro. yeah,
1: I think that's a great addition. Uh, for the, the Celtics, would be Jay Crowder. That's it. I think to me, exactly what they need is a wing that can take some of the minutes load off of the Jays, right? They right, this yeah. year, Grant is not that like, Grant's a four or like a small ball five, he's not a true wing, so. The Jays had to play 40 minutes, 42 minutes, 43 minutes a night in this postseason run in big games. Right. You get into late in these games because they they don't have a Jay Crowder. So, yeah, a guy like Jay Crowder would be absolutely perfect for them. Hey, I I would love that move. The Bruins, uh, Don Sweeney's extension gets done. We knew this was coming. I don't think there's been a move in Boston besides, uh, well, you know, granted uh, they did just trade Mookie Betts and you know, let Tom Brady walk in, within like the last three years. So I guess that's a wrong way. Devers is common. There hasn't been a move in management. I think we can say that right. Where at the management level that has been as universally hated. Oh, the, the entire true. Patriots coaching staff right now. Yeah, I guess that's true, but I think that's below <laughs> that that's like below this, right? Front like front office. Front that, office. Yeah, yeah. Like GM head coach, right? Yeah. So Don Sweeney's back. It certainly sounds like David Quinn's gonna be the head coach of this team sooner or later. Like that that announcement or report at least feels like it's gonna come at any time. He coached Charlie McAvoy at BU, coached Charlie McAvoy on Team USA. Seems to like he's really tight with McAvoy. It's kind of like the Bruins trying to to, to get a guy like Emei, right, who was really tight with the Jays from Team USA and Marcus and those guys, and now they're going to bring in the guy that's best friends with McAvoy. Okay, wh- whatever. The Bruins, to me, are, out of all the Boston sports teams, the furthest away and, and the biggest mess. Like, that's – I just don't know where the Bruins go from here to get back to contention. And I hate that – Patrice Bergeron's probably going to come back and it's probably going to be like his goodbye retirement tour. And they're going to be like an eight seed again. Right. I mean, that's sort of the, the way that it's, it's trending. So wh- how do you feel about the Sweeney extension though? Are you as hot and bothered by it as everybody else's? It was always going to happen.
0: I guess I don't feel anything about it. Cause I, that, the, that announcement was just a formality. I think you hit something on the head there with, They're trying to find their Ime Udoka. Oh,
1: yeah, absolutely. Whether it's
0: David Quinn or Jay Leach or whoever it is. Yeah. And, you know, they are in some ways in a similar spot to where the Celtics were at this time last year. A year ago today, they hired Will Hardy, and congrats to him on a well-deserved – is that technically a promotion, whatever it is, the new head coach of the Utah Jazz? Um, (laughs) It's definitely a promotion, yeah. There's – well, is it a promotion if you go to another company? You didn't get promoted. You changed jobs. Uh, I see it's what the semantics thing. You see what I'm saying? It's a, yeah. obviously yeah. he took a better job, but yeah. Um, anyway, there's there's a number of reasons they won't find their Ime Udoka. One, Ime Udoka's don't grow on trees. That guy's a tremendous yeah. talent. That dude is. I mean, the Celtics hit it out of the park with that one. They freaking yeah. nailed it. A plus yeah. plus. If every team, if it was that easy to go find Ime Udoka more than half of every league would fire their coach every off season. Right. Get him. Right. The other thing is, it's just a different sport. You know, Ime Udoka unlocking Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown isn't gonna, that's going to have more of an impact than Jay Leach, David Quinn, whoever it is unlocking. Let's, let's say the comparables are Charlie McAvoy and David Posternock. Yeah. Those guys are already pretty unlocked. Right. And you still have, Two more lines of forwards, or two more lines of defensemen, three more lines of forwards. It's it's not the same thing, right? I, I think what they need to be doing with their coaching search first and foremost, David Pasternak doesn't have a long term deal. Find the coach that's going to get him to sign extension. Yeah, and if that guy's a bum, you get the extension signed, and then you change coaches again in two years. Yeah, find the coach that David Pasternak wants to play for. Well, it it sounds he can be like a
1: Bruin for life. There yeah, sounds no like they're going, they're going more towards McAvoy, right? Like, he to... has his
0: deal. I don't care. I know. McAvoy signed I know. his deal. Find that, make David Postinock happy. There's, it's like Mookie Betts or Raphael Devers. There's yeah. no excuse, no excuse for him to be traded. And I'll tell you this the way that these releases have come from these two teams recently. Yeah. Dever, get ready for Devers and Postinock to get traded on the same day when oh, that God. shoe inevitably. No. I'm kidding. I'm Stop. kidding. But... Stop, please.
1: Don't do that to us. All right. So, but the Bruins, I, I think, I'll, you know, the, the number one thing that I, I look at with them that makes them different from the Celtics is I, I don't think that their aging core like they aging core players. Like the Celtics have Al Horford, right? Like that's like kind of their vet, right? right. I, I I don't know if Patrice Bergeron, Marshawn, are are those guys. Are are those guys going to contribute as much to this team? I guess that yeah, did? yeah, uh, Patrice Bergeron was like a top five center in hockey last year. Yeah, no, Bergeron's I, I, hear you. I Bart- David I think, Krejci might come back too. I yeah. the more thing that I, I guess I'm coming from with Marshawn is the, is the injuries, right? Like Marshawn. Even if he comes back. Well, it's like Al Horford
0: contributed tremendously, even though he was on a minutes restriction and didn't play back-to-backs for most of the regular season. He missed like 25 games.
1: Yeah, I, I guess I'm more just saying that they're not healthy, right? Like these, a lot of these guys aren't healthy. Al Horford and, wasn't healthy, though. I, I guess. I I'll, Let's take the Al Horford thing out of it, all right? No, but that's the whole – no, 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 no. You can't do that because that's the whole point you were just trying to make. My my point is is that I, I worry about their health, right? I worry about the Bruins' health with their aging core. That's rider. fine. That's I don't think that record. makes them any
0: less mentors or anything like
1: that. No, 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 it doesn't. That was the wrong way of putting it. I I have concerns about their health for their, their aging core guys that the Celtics, I, don't, I didn't feel the same way about, right? Be, may, mainly, I would say- I think but, you were
0: too- Well, I would say you were too optimistic about the Celtics
1: then. I think mainly because I wasn't expecting anything from Al Horford. The Bruins are expecting things from Bergeron and Marchand, right? I, Like I'm fine counting on
0: Patrice Bergeron. I feel like if I count on him for a lot, he's going to deliver. That's just, he's been that player for 18 years. Yeah, I don't think you would start saying, I, I think the last thing you can start doing for the Bruins is saying, well, can we count on Patrice Bergeron? And that's no, the last so thing anybody who watches on the team him. should
1: say. It's, it's not so much about counting on him. It's just, I, I don't know. They need more out of him then the Celtics needed out Al Horford. No. Okay, right? but he can give them. He was a top five center
0: in four. He was a top five center. I, guess, in I don't know. I, I think you're missing my point. If um, Al Horford had been a top five forward in the NBA in 2020. They, need, would have felt they
1: need Patrice Bergeron and Brad Marchant to be the guys that they were in like 2019. Are are those guys? Are they those guys anymore? Are Bergeron is Bergeron's been steady for the last three All four right. years. I All mean, right, for bro. the last 18 years. I, I'm not Marchant, I, I have nothing against Bergeron. I love the guy. I I'll just give you. I'll I give you Marshawn coming
0: off of double hip surgery. There yeah. is reason to be like, eh, what's he going to look like? Patrice Bergeron's going to go out and what he's, what he's and give you what he's given you for the last two decades. I I don't. Right.
1: That. I hope you're right. All right. The last thing I'll say about the hockey team, I watched a little bit of the abs lightning series, mainly to watch Tampa lose. Right. So I, I watched game five, disappointed. They didn't lose in game five, but I watched game six as well. Third period, at least it looked like they were playing a different sport. And I hate that, that like, notion most of the time right like everybody ups their game once they're that close to the cup right that's that's how right. it works but at the same time the speed the depth the, the skill i mean it was those two teams were were playing a different sport like they, they really were than what the bruins were at the end of the year it, it that scares me too about the bruins more than anything uh, anything to do with health or anything to do with if those guys are aging or whatnot is I just don't know how you look at this team and see them competing uh, with the product that the lightning and the abs were able to put out on the ice and in the Stanley cup final Maker is like, honestly, one of the better hockey players I've seen in a long time, not named Connor McDavid, right? Like that guy is right. Unreal. And I I don't, I just don't know if, you know, him McKinnon, obviously as well, uh, that, that abs team is, was really, really impressive. They lost what, I think three games the entire playoffs i mean that, that was right that was a ridiculous run uh, by the app so, so credit to them that was that was insane um yeah so a couple things on that i mean it's this is every league has
0: one or two of these teams now right whether it's the chiefs whether yeah. it's the warriors whether it's the avalanche or video game they're yeah. just built different and it's like you said it looks like something else the yeah. other thing i'd say about the avalanche as dominant as they looked. And sometimes people like to talk about these new aging teams and, Oh, look how much they respect the numbers. Colorado Avalanche, not a math team. They're just a math team. They're just, they skate fast. They skate strong and they get to the spot at the right time. That's what they do. It's just, let's get good athletes who are smart and it'll work. And I know nowadays you need a. In order to succeed, you need a binder that's this thick, and you need pages and pages of, of course, spreadsheets, yeah. and you need
1: what the you, dorky you, math you, coach in Los you Angeles. Do realize, you do realize that the first team, pretty much in professional sports, to have the spreadsheets and the dorky binders were the Your New England Patriots, right? Like you but do that's re- not no,
0: but but that's not mod. They talked about what that is. That's not the analytics I'm talking about. But you about
1: do realize that the 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 team that really discovered analytics and really no no got, no, no 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 I'm not talking about those analytics forefront. Bill
0: Bill has talked about Bill and Ernie both talked about what that is They, they play means, at
1: Gillette Stadium the address is one Patriot Place They're the they're the Godfathers of NFL of football analytics like you 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 gotta recognize So that. so
0: there's what they do which I think makes some sense They basically just Look at historical percentages over time as, as tendencies, right? They don't.
1: Tendencies. I think that's the biggest. You you have an
0: issue with predictive analytics. Right. So here's what I would say. Statistics mean nothing or or, sorry. Averages mean nothing to the individual, right? Yeah. Have you ever heard that before? Averages mean nothing to the individual. If you go, you know, and that is and Bill and Ernie understand that it's as simple as trying to find tendencies. I'm talking yeah. about the Bill James analytics. I'm talking about, okay. Like this warm. is a line from the yeah. Simpsons. Like Zach Grinky on the second Tuesday of a summer month pitching on the road after he's given up a hit is the best pitcher in baseball. That means nothing, right? Those kind of analytics, the chargers analytics, those ones I hate at the end of the day. And I know people want to build teams that way at yeah. the end of the day, to me, there's still something to be said for go out and get good athletes who know the game, and are motivated. And if you find guys who check those three boxes,
1: you're probably going to have a pretty good team. Okay. That, and fair. I think
0: the Avalanche proved that.
1: But I think so, I, I again, I, just to kind of hit this and wrap it up, you don't like predictive analytics, right? You don't right. like the model. You don't like, and I'm, I'm not talking about models, I'm talking about the model, right? Like, you right. don't like the fact that... I don't the like... I don't, with the chargers I don't like... I got got, Brandon Staley looks at his chart and he says, the nerds tell me to go for it on fourth down here. You don't want that. You hate that. But what I would rebut with is that a lot of analytics, especially in football, are actually what the Patriots call padding, which is where they go through film and they pad, basically, you know, know, make uh, diagrams of every play that a team runs, right? And then what they do is, is they label it, they they mark it as something, they flag it as something, and then they make a tendency chart of how many times they ran a play in a given game or in a given season or a given stretch of the season. So the Malcolm Butler interception in Super Bowl 40, what, nine, is it? Yeah. Yeah, 49, doesn't happen if... Ernie Adams is in his dungeon with his fucking notepad and he's sitting so, down there and he's right. padding Seattle games. And he recognizes when they're in this down and distance and this area of the goal line, they like to run this pick play. That is, that was Patriot Lytics. Like that, we call them Ernie right? Like that's, that's Ernie. So I agree with you in a lot of ways that the, The predictive analytic models are are broken because it don't take they don't take into account enough things. But you but what the Patriots are doing is analytic based. It's just a different approach to analytics. Fair. When I say
0: analytics, what I mean is, yeah, he only completed fifty four percent of his passes, but his expected completion percentage is sixty eight percent. What does that mean? Like what? And I know you're going to tell me the formula, whatever. Like no, I don't care what he was expected to do. Yeah, it's like uh, he did. It's bad. Bip. Right. No, Babip. See, Babip's a real tangible thing. Batting average on balls in play. Do you know what Babip is? Batting average on balls in play.
1: What's the one that's like, you know, his average, like, should be this, but it's this because of like bad luck and stuff? Expected expected batting average. Anything that is expected in front of it, or like war. War, or like DVO. And look,
0: DVOA, Aaron Chat, Sharon High School grad. Shout out to him. But if you can't tell people what the formula is, my general rule of thumb is it's probably not a good formula. You're hiding something. Babip. I like Babbit because batting average on balls in play, it's basically when the guy makes contact, does he make good contact? Does he make good contact that leads to hits? And that's a useful stat because you use it on guys who strike out a ton. And you say, yeah. okay, this, like this Rafi, Rafi Devers was a big Babbitt guy. When he was hitting like 220, when he first came up, his Babbitt was still through the roof. And basically because of that, the assessment was, well, if we can just teach him to strike out less and be more, uh, be more disciplined at the plate, he's going to become a better hitter. Like that, yeah. great. That's an awesome way to measure it. If you tell me, well, his expected batting average was this because no. the yeah, launch I'm... angle should have been this, and in this percentage of ballparks, if the weather is this, this ball falls here. No, no, too many variables at that point. With the sports are a large enough sample size where it all evens out. I don't want to hear bad expected. I don't. Yeah, That's, that's where fair. it kills me. And then no. using it to evaluate players and bring in players is where my problem is.
1: That's fair. I, I think that that's a... Uh... A big difference between, I think that's where like the the lines get muddied because I think a lot of people like attack analytics and attack the nerds because of the expected stuff, right? Like the The probability models, all that. But really, what analytics were birthed as, or what I was just talking about, right? The well, it's two. There
0: was Bill and Ernie created their analytics in like the early two thousands, right? But before it, but that was when they were only in baseball. I'm talking about like the Bill James analytics. Yeah, Those definitely. I have no time for tendencies are great. I love tendencies. I think yeah. tendencies are a big part of sports, but right. like blindly applying them and then adding random information to them that you, you know, cause you want, you want to form your own argument. Like I think analytics are just people proving their own arguments with yeah. BS numbers, right? It's, it's once you start applying the tendencies to things that aren't tangible, that's where you lose me.
1: Yeah. That's,
0: that's, that's where I, I lose it.
1: Yeah. It, it's really cool because I think a lot of NFL teams nowadays they get handed packets from their analytics teams or their nerds or whatever you want to call it. That's that have tendencies, right. that say, okay, here's every, the percentage of plays that they run every single run blocking scheme, right? Like the 49ers run outside zone this many times, the, the Patriots run power this many times and they get handed these packets. This is how many times they run this coverage. This is how many times they run go routes. This is how many times they run, uh, you know, quarters, crossers, whatever. That type of stuff is really, really useful. I'm with you, though, that, you know. The
0: the math should inform the coaches. The coaches should not be the ones informing the math department, Yeah, basically. Fair
1: enough. All right.
0: I'm all for having all the information at your disposal. Just know what you're doing with it.
1: Yeah, we we uh, we run really long. We're a little over. That was a good discussion, though, because we can definitely get lost.
0: I in think the, that was as that was as eye to eye as we've ever seen on the analytics debate. I think.
1: So yeah, because good. I'm with you on the predictive models because they don't take into account enough factors, right? Like, they, like right. what's the weather? What's the it's opponent, impossible. What's, what's the what's the game flow, right? Like, what's all right. these things, right? It's really difficult to to be able to take those things all into account. All right. How much it's, dog in them? You can't, you can't measure that. Right. Who, who's got heart, right? Miles right. and miles. That. That's the difference. Okay. Let's wrap this up. Uh, Alex and I are going to be back on Thursday. Another throwback Thursday. I think we should give it away to the people that have watched for an hour and 19 minutes. All right, that's like, right. I appreciate the 224 uh-huh. people that hung on with us here. Uh, we are going to uh, break down Dion branch on Thursday. Uh, Alex and I are really looking forward to this one. I think I don't want to speak for you, Alex, but one of my favorite and most like underrated Patriots, right? Like the run didn't last very long for Dion branch. He didn't, we didn't play with the Patriots at least the first time uh, for like 10, 20 years or something like that. Uh, But that, that season, that Super Bowl, uh, obviously a fantastic uh, game to break down. Uh, The game against the Steelers also fantastic to break down. So we're going to break down Dion Branch in some big games on Thursday. We'll, we'll break in with any news or anything like that that's happening in the NFL world. And uh, we are, what, less than a month in until uh, training camp. Basically, yep. to the day. We're one month. Until training camp so once we get through some uh, uh, of the next couple of weeks after the four things like that uh, we'll start doing training camp previews and uh, start discussing what we're going to see out uh, in Foxborough uh, for training camp so hang with us on throwback Thursday until then we're gonna have some fun with it with Dion branch and uh, training camps right around the corner so keep it right here for Patriots beat for all your Patriots coverage and on Patriots press pass. But until then signing off for Alex Barth, I'm Evan Lazar. Thanks for watching everybody. And we'll see you Thursday.